Let's take a look at our passage. We're going to read it all the way through today, and then we're going to go back and we're going to break it down a little bit. We're in Mark 8. We're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through Mark. Uh, I work with some homeschoolers, and they ask me an interesting question. They say, Pastor John, uh, I always drink my water in an apple juice bottle, and I drink apple juice in a water bottle. And so they questioned me and called me out on that, and I really didn't have an answer for them as to why. Go figure. Anyway. <laughs> so Mark 8, verse 13, actually verse 11, verse 11 through 21. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him, Jesus, a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said twelve. Also, when I broke the seven for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said seven. And he said, how is it that you do not understand? Let's pray. And as we read those words, Lord, how is it that they do not understand? Maybe we could look in the mirror and sometimes ask, how do we still not understand who you are, what you've done, how much you love us? Lord, through the course of this week, if circumstances have come upon us and we've forgotten, gently remind us by the power of your word, your spirit, we're in a good place, God. In your presence. Speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. As a child, 104 degree fever, sick to my stomach in every way that you could imagine. It could have been the plague, quite honestly, but it didn't stop my mother from 
coming alongside, putting an arm around me, a cloth on me, an alcohol bath, taking care of me in every way possible. No matter how sick I was, there didn't seem to be a fear that she was going to get sick. All she did was care for me. Now this lasted as she's cradling her little John John. And when I say cradling her little John John, I'm talking about me. Because that's what they called me. Now we call my son John John. But she would take care of me. This lasted, I have to say, as long as I was under her roof. Into my 20s. Okay. And so I know that that gets a little strange, but... All right, but mom's still taking care, and she doesn't care how sick I am, and my wife is back there smiling, and she's like, I know, I know, I know. Something happened between my 20s and 30s. I started getting these weird sicknesses, and some of you have had them. It's something called the man flu. <laughs> Any guys here ever gotten that? Guys, do you know what the man flu is? All right, the man flu is... When we kind of get sick, and guys have a tendency to handle illness a little different than women, <laughs> okay? So as I'm getting sick with the man flu, mom's attitude somewhere between my 20s and 30s changed. Mom, I'm sick. Stay away from me. Stay away from you? What about the alcohol baths? What about the rags I made? You're married now. Okay? Not my job anymore. Seriously? Because I don't want to get sick now. I don't want what you have to rub off on me. That was called the man flu. What you got, I don't want. Now, perhaps you've been sick and you said, you know what, to protect people around you, you don't want what you have to rub off on other people. But that doesn't just have to be an illness. A lot of who we are and what happens to us can rub off on others if you haven't noticed. It's not just an illness. Let me ask you, has anybody's negative attitude ever rubbed off on you? Has that happened? Or somebody's attitude may be in the workplace, and maybe they're disgusted with the way things are going to work, and because they're disgusted, they complain to you, and you start going, you know what, you're right. They're terrible to work for. I don't even want to be here anymore. All right, now their negative attitude is rubbed off on you. What about somebody's language? All right? Or what about our kids, okay, when they're hanging out with somebody maybe that they shouldn't be hanging out with, they come home using all sorts of terminologies, and you sit there and you're like, what is going on? Who is rubbing off on them? Who are they hanging out with? So it could be the way that somebody dresses. It could be the way somebody talks. There are all sorts of things that we do that have a, tender, have a tendency to rub off on other people. What about somebody's work ethic sometimes? All right, if you start working with lazy people, it's easy to become lazy. Sometimes it just kind of rubs off. When I was a kid, we used to watch a show called Leave it to Beaver. And, uh, and I think it was Beaver and Wally had this friend, and his name was uh, Eddie Haskell. And Eddie Haskell was a troublemaker. No matter what he did, it was like whenever Eddie Haskell was there, they knew that Eddie Haskell had the ability to have a bad example on Beaver and Wally. Alright, so as we're looking at this today, what we're going to see is this. The disciples, as we continue our study, the disciples have been walking with Jesus now for years. Alright, they've seen the things that Jesus can do, and yet today in the passage, we're going to see that they still don't get it. 
They still don't believe. Something is rubbing off on them. And it's the kind of thing that, in rubbing off on them, if we're not careful, it's the same kind of thing that can really rub off on us. Now, consider the context of the passage. Most recently, in Jesus' ministry, we saw him feed the Jews back in Mark 6, and uh, it says the feeding of the 5,000, but we know more that it was probably more with women and children, more like 15,000, maybe 18,000. And after he fed them, well, they ended up with 12 baskets of leftovers. Last week, in our study, as Anthony led us, we talked about the feeding of the 4,000, which was more like probably anywhere from 8 to 12,000. And they had seven great big baskets of leftovers. But today, we see them in a boat with one loaf of bread. And by the way Jesus addresses it, we assume that they're kind of freaking out. Why? So we're going to break this down, and we're going to take a look at this question um, as to the things that are rubbing off on us. And in this case, what we're going to see is we're going to see that it's unbelief that's rubbing off on the disciples and how easily it rubs off on us. So let's take a look first at verses 11 through 12, where it says, Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, him being Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit. Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. The Pharisees are questioning, despite the fact that he has been feeding the multitudes, healing the sick, raising the dead, calming the storms, walking on water. The Pharisees say, give us a sign. Well, what are you looking for? Who are you? Who are the Pharisees? The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. And being that they were the religious leaders, they were the representatives of God. And being the representatives of God, well, here comes Jesus. Jesus said, hey, I'm from God, and he showed all this power. And so if Jesus was legit, well, then the Pharisees were threatened. They were flustered. They were confused with the presence of Jesus. Because if this guy's from Jesus, we claim from, that we were from Jesus, we, we claim that we were from God, we claim that we were his representatives, if he's right, then, we, then, then the Pharisees must be wrong. And because of this, they were threatened. They didn't have power. And here's the other thing, that Jesus was not seeking their approval. He was never seeking their approval. So if he was legit, they weren't. If they were legit, he wasn't. Truth is not determined by what we perceive. Truth is determined by just the fact that it's true. And here was Jesus, all right? And so who are these Pharisees? They were the religious leaders of the day. They believed in the Torah, the five books of law, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And they were known for taking the law of God out of context or enforcing the law of God without the spirit of God. Now, this is called legalism. Legalism. And guess what? It's in the church today. Legalism is in the church today. You see, they were known for taking the law of God out of context. How do we do that? Well, when we focus on the rules and we're devoid of God's love, that's called legalism. When we're focused on the rules, but it's devoid of God's love, then that is called legalism. So it keeps the law, but it violates the spirit of the law. And you say, how does that work? And let me explain Great example is given, how does one keep the letter of the law but violate the spirit? 
Suppose a man likes to drive his car at the minimum required speed, irrespective of the conditions which he's driving. If he's on an interstate and the minimum posted speed is 40 miles an hour, he drives 40 miles an hour no matter what. No more, no less. He's driving 40. He does this even during torrential downpours when driving at this minimum required speed actually puts other people in danger because they've had the good sense to slow down and drive 20 miles an hour so as not to skid off the road or hydroplane. The man who insists on the speed of 40 miles an hour, even under those conditions, is driving his car, listen, to please himself alone. He's driving his car to please himself alone. And although he appears to be an external observer of the law, as one who is scrupulous in his obedience, his obedience is only external, and he doesn't care at all about what the law is actually about. That's legalism. Please do not be confused. Because when we talk about legalism in the church, okay, it's the enforcement of the law without the spirit of love. It's without the spirit of God. That's legalism. Now, there is a difference between legalism and accountability in the church. Because a lot of the times, you bring sin to somebody's heart, you know, you bring sin into somebody and you speak into their life, and you're being legalistic. Listen. Listen. That's right. It becomes the most, the most popular verse in the Bible is Matthew 7 1. It used to be John 3 16, right? Matthew 7 1 says, it's just, not lest you be judged. All right? If I go to you in the spirit of love, and I say, listen, I see the way that you're spending your money, and this is not in a way that's something that's pleasing to God, or if I come to you about a relational issue or something like that, and we discuss this, and I bring the Word of God to you, and I present it to you, well, that's accountability. Accountability is always for the purpose of building someone up, building up the individual, building up the body. Legalism, you can always tell because it's more selfish, it's more about me. It's more about me, and it's more about my preferences. But it's not about the body. It's not about building the body at all. Accountability is something that is brought out of love for the building of the body. Legalism is something that becomes self-righteous. Self-righteous. It has nothing to do with the Word of God. And that's why the Pharisees got themselves in trouble. Because they enforced the law of God without the Spirit of God and because they had a religious agenda. Gentlemen, I'm going to say this. I don't want everybody getting up and down during the service. All right? Sorry. Um, it's the... Pastor John, you're being legalist. No, I'm not. <laughs> All right? It's accountability. Okay, at that point. I like that. Um, it's, it's a difference, okay? There is a reason that somebody brings you something in love. All right? And again, it's for the building of the body. Now, again, the Pharisees were all about the law. They were all about the law and the wrong enforcement of the law. And because of that, they couldn't see God in front of them. Jesus was in front of them, and they missed it. How many of you want to miss Jesus when he's doing something right in front of you? How many feel that you have sometimes? You sat there and you said, you know what, I think that God was doing something right then, right there, and I missed it. Why? Because they're trying to enforce a, quote, religious agenda. And if we understand that that's the problem with the Pharisees, then we understand why they looked and they had a problem receiving the truth of Christ. 
They couldn't receive the truth that was right in front of them because they were so busy about their own pursuits. They were busy about their own pursuits. They weren't going about their father's business. They were going about their own business, and they missed what the father was doing right in front of them. And they didn't believe. And so what they say is this. Listen. They say, we want a sign from you. Let me ask you, what kind of sign do you think they were looking for? What kind of a sign were the religious leaders looking for? Something that was going to validate their position. Something that was going to validate their position. Something that was going to fit their accommodation. What did they want? Did they want a savior that was going to die on a cross for them? No, that's not what they wanted. They wanted William Wallace. They wanted a warrior to come in there and vindicate them before the Roman government. That's what they wanted, and because that's what they wanted, they couldn't see what was right in front of them, and their hearts were hardened. So despite the fact that Jesus was already feeding the multitude, what kind of a sign do you want? I've raised the dead, I've fed the multitudes, I've calmed storms. What kind of a sign are you looking for? Because it's going to determine what you see. They were looking to serve their own agenda. Here are some reasons that we can miss God working right in front of us. You ready for them? One is because of our expectations. You can miss God because of your own expectations. Fair? All right. So, because I expected that God was going to do this and this and this, and when he didn't do it the way that I thought he was going to do it, well, I disagree with it. And so I'm mad at God, and, and, and if he's working right in front, I'm still going to miss it because I'm looking for my own expectations. This is really important because here's the thing. When we're looking for God to meet our expectations, you're becoming the Simon Cowell of Christianity. Do you know what I mean by that? The Simon Cowell, okay, well, I like the way that God did that, but I don't like the way that God did that. Well, let me ask you one question. Do you like the way that God did this? Would you have agreed with that? When I said, well, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my son to die on a cross for you. Do you agree with that decision? No, I'm struggling with that one. It's going to save your soul. Really? Expectations are one reason. I came to church and I was expecting God to fix the relationship. I was expecting the promotion. I was expecting this. I was expecting things to happen like this, and it didn't work out the way that I So now I'm mad at God, and now because I'm mad at God, I'm, I'm shut off towards God. My heart is hardened. And I can't see what God is doing right in front of me. Expectations are a great reason that we are unable to see the things that God is doing. Experiences. Sometimes our decisions with the things that are in front of us are guided more because of the experiences that we've had. And if we are guided and our course of action is dictated by our past or our experiences, is it possible to miss the thing that God is doing right in front of us? because of our experiences. How many of you in this room have said at one point in your life, I'm never going to date again? Because you got your heart broken. Okay. Never going to date again. Never date again. I'm done. I'm done with men. I'm done with women. I'm done with anything. All right? I am not dating again because it hurts. And because of my experiences, because I got my heart broken, uh, I'm just going to shut off from... from, from and now you're shutting off from relationship and you're missing the thing that is right in front of you. You're missing the thing that is right in front of you. We can miss God for the same reason. Experiences, also agendas, also entitlement. This is the religious leader's problem. They had a sense of entitlement. 
Their religion was passed down by their fathers, and their fathers' fathers, and their fathers' fathers' fathers. And because of that sense of religious entitlement, they were missing what Jesus was doing right in front of them. Listen, we can grow up in a religion, and when people say, why do you attend the church you're attending? People will say, well, I have no idea. Mom went, Dad went, so we go. Well, why did they go? Well, they went because their mom and dad went. Well, well, why did they go? Well, because their mom and dad before them went. And we can get caught up in the trap. And we can get caught up in this revolving door. Education is another reason. And I am not downplaying the importance of education, but I am saying sometimes we can become wise in our own eyes. And because we're wise in our own eyes, we can't see the very thing that God is doing right in front of us. So why does he call tax collectors and fishermen? And why does he use shepherds? Why? Why? Because their hearts are more likely to be able to receive because they're not puffed up. But here the, the Pharisees were missing the most humble, gentle, loving, wise, holy, just man that ever walked the planet. O-B-T-W. He created them. All things were made through him that were made and they missed God right in front of them. And that's the thing that we don't want to do. That's the thing that we never want to do. You don't want to miss God. And they missed him, and because of that, they didn't believe. As Jesus was right in front of them, they did not believe him. And unbelief rubs off, as we're going to see. So, oh, show us a sign, and Jesus said, no. No, no, no. You're not going to get a sign. This generation's not going to get a sign. Because even if you did, you wouldn't understand it. Mark 8, verses 13 through 19. And it says here, we're going to read these verses, actually 13 through 21, we're going to read all these verses, then we're going to break them down. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. Also, when I broke the seven for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, Seven. So he said, How is it that you still don't understand? Stop it. Here's what happens. After the first feeding of the five thousand, He's confronted by the people, and the people want to make him a king, and so he leaves the region. After the feeding of the 4,000, he's confronted by the religious leaders. He's confronted by the religious leaders, and the religious leaders are kind of saying, well, we, well, we want to see a sign. What? How is it that you're seeing all of these things, and you still don't believe? Now, obviously, there was strife with the, with the disciples because they're in the boat, and Jesus addresses it, and he says to them, Listen, take heed. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, let's understand this for a second. He's addressing this as if it's a bread problem for a moment. But by addressing the bread, he's getting to the core of it. Remember, the first miracle was of the feeding of the 5,000. The second feeding 
was the feeding of the 4,000. So we had uh, five loaves, two fish, and then we had seven loaves, all right, in both feedings. And now he's saying, listen, for the leaven of the Pharisees. Well, what is the leaven of the Pharisees? What is that? What is the leaven of Herod? Well, anytime we've seen the Pharisees and Herod mentioned up to this point, what we've had is unbelief. Herod looked at Jesus and he thought it was John the Baptist raised from the dead. The Pharisees never believed anything Jesus did. And so here we have this leaven, and leaven, it says here, listen, leaven, yeast is the secret to making bread rise. When added to a lump of bread dough, the yeast ferments, the starches in the dough, and it causes the dough to increase in size. Without yeast to leaven, leaven the dough, the loaf that comes out of the oven is flat. Remarkably, it takes little yeast to make dough rise. It takes just a little bit of yeast, and this is the point. A small amount is sufficient to leaven the dough thoroughly. What we're seeing in this is that Jesus is alluding to a phenomenon of yeasts making dough rise in order to teach a spiritual lesson. You see, it's a natural image to use because the Lord has just fed 4,000, and then he fed 5,000, and now they didn't pray enough bread for a meal on the boat. And they're saying, hey, well, well, we've only got one loaf of bread. Jesus is saying, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. What is he talking about? He's likening the leaven to the power of unbelief. Because unbelief is a powerful thing. Unbelief is a powerful thing. And yes, it rubs off on people. When someone doesn't believe, and that's the heart of what Jesus gets to in this passage. He says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, there's this example uh, of, uh, of the fact that it takes a, uh, a, a cup full of water to introduce something like seven blocks worth of fog. So like a cup of water. And if you were to take a look at the equivalent of the fog, it would be like seven blocks of fog because of one cup of water. And in the same way, our unbelief does the same thing. Unbelief is catchy, it is infectious. When you are sitting there struggling to believe the promises of God and the power of God, that can become infectious to the people that are around you. Now, the way that Jesus traces this back, the way that he dials it back, it's pretty interesting. I want you to watch with me. It says right here, it says, Take heed, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Is it because we have no bread? But Jesus was aware of it. And he said to them, why do you reason because we have no bread? That's the first thing. Okay, look, they're reasoning that they have no bread. So in other words, the bread in the situation has become a catalyst for a discussion. That's all the bread is. What they believe about their bread situation kind of tells the world what they believe about their God, right? And so that's why the whole problem with the bread is mentioned. He says, why are you reasoning like this? Do you not perceive or understand? So in other words, you've got the problem with the bread, and the way that you're thinking right now is not right. The way that you're receiving it and understanding is not right, and here is why. This is the core of the problem. It's in the next question where he says, Is your heart still hardened? So what's the real problem? It's cardiac. It's always a heart problem. 
It's always a heart problem. And when we talk about the heart being hardened, I don't think that there's any mistake with this terminology. Being a nurse also, all right, I know this. Being a nurse that has high cholesterol, okay? Being a nurse that has high cholesterol, I know this, that if I eat the wrong foods, fried chicken, steak, all these sorts of things, if I eat the wrong foods, what happens, what happens is that there's a hardening of the arteries, right? There's a hardening, all right? And so what that happens is it prevents the heart from pumping and flowing and doing the thing that, it's, that, it, should, that it should be doing. It's preventing the heart from working the right way. All right, in the same way, spiritually, there's a hardening of the heart, and that spiritual hardening of the heart has, because, has come because we have failed to receive the truth of who God is. Now listen, it's an audiovisual problem, because, because of the heart, it says here, this is what Jesus goes next, he says, okay, you've reasoned because of the bread. It's affected your understanding and the way you're thinking. This is because your heart is hardened. Because your heart is hardened, it says here, having eyes you don't see. Having ears, you don't see. You don't hear. And, well, also, you know, you can't see. <laughs> having eyes, you don't see. And having ears, you do not hear. Now, if the problem is heart and it's affecting the, the way that we see and the way that we hear, it's fair to say that we can trace the overall problem right back to the book of Genesis. Right? Because that's where man's heart was separated from God when they chose against God. And do you remember the first consequence? It says their eyes were what? Their eyes were opened. Now they were seeing things in a way that they'd never seen them before. When they heard God in the garden, what did they do? They hid. They never had to hide when, they, when God was walking in the garden. So why were they hiding now? Because they, they saw things differently, they heard things differently, and there's a complete audio-visual impairment because of their experience in being separated from God, because their hearts were separated from God, because they had chosen against God. Listen, for the non-believer, you're going to struggle to see this world the way God wants you to see it. You're going to struggle to hear and receive things the way that God wants you to hear them because the heart is separated from God. But the, for the Christian, it goes like this. If you keep hearing truth, if somebody keeps bringing truth to you, and you keep shutting the door, shutting the door, shutting the door, then what happens is this. You're going to have trouble hearing, seeing things the right way, because what you're doing is you're quenching the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit and the heart of God is the very thing that can help you to see what's happening out there and receive it and respond to it in the right way. Does this make sense? I mean, it seems to make sense. It seems to be clear in Scripture. But what Jesus calls them out on is saying, listen, they're rubbing off on you rather than you rubbing off on them. Let me ask again. Who's rubbed off on you? Who's rubbed off on you? Oh, there was a situation in the hospital the other week, and the way that I faced it fairly aggressively, somebody might look and say, he's just like his dad. But there was a situation in the mall yesterday as uh, we were doing a fundraiser for the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Here's a shameless plug for our play. Here we go. All right, we went to the Wellington Green Mall. It was a fundraiser that we had organized with Chick-fil-A. 
and we went in costume. Now, I only had half my cat costume, so I'm wearing this, like, fur coat with shades and with my, uh, with, uh, and I'm, and I'm dressed like the lion, kinda. We didn't have my mane yet, but I'm we're, I'm, we're walking through the mall with the white witch. So the white witch is walking through the mall, we're walking through the mall, and we're trying to get people to go to Chick-fil-A to support the play, to raise money for the play. Well, mall security comes up and they say, well, you can't hand out flyers because that's soliciting and that's not really allowed in the mall. We're like, well, but we had arranged with Chick-fil-A, so Chick-fil-A was aware of what we were doing, so mall security calls Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A calls uh, the mall secure, the head of mall security, all right, and they shut it down. Oh, the kids are devastated because now we're walking around the mall and we look kind of silly. All right, I'm walking around the mall dressed as the lion, but everybody's like, it doesn't look like a lion, Pastor John. Right now you look more like a biker. Well, that's cool. The white witch is walking around. We've got we've got Father Christmas walking around dressed up as, as Father Christmas. And he's like, well, and, and he's about 15, 14. And he says, well, why are they shutting us down? He goes, they let Santa Claus in here. I've got a beard on. I look the same as him. So why can't we do this? And they're sitting there, and then we're all kind of frustrated. We're saying, what's going on here? Now, it became a teaching moment. As the lion went gently to Father Christmas, <laughs> I asked him, I said, is God aware of this situation? He said, yes. I said, do all things work together for good to those that love God? And he said, yes. I said, let me ask you, do you love God? Yes. I said, so you're set, right? Listen, what bread problem are you having today? What problem are you having where you're looking at the state of your situation? And if we were to, if we were to bring these same questions to the disciples, we'd ask the questions and we would say, well, listen, guys, uh, is God aware of your situation? Is God aware of the fact that you only have one loaf here? The disciples would go, well, yeah, of course he's aware of it. All right. Are all things working together for good to those that love God? Yes, they are. Do you love God? Yes, we do. So what's the problem? Did you just see me feed 5,000? Did you just see me feed 4,000? And now we're in a boat and you are, you only have one loaf of bread and you're questioning where's my next meal coming from and you're with me, Jesus? Is this really a problem? How? Why? Here's why. It's this. It's a problem with the ticker. Okay? It's a problem with the heart. Because when our heart is separated from God, when we're not listening to God, we're not going to see things, we're not going to hear things, we're not going to understand and respond to things in the way that he calls us to. Do you see a lack of faith on the part of the disciples? Is that fair to say? Where does the Bible say that faith comes from? Hearing. And where does hearing come from? The Word. And so so faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes from the Word. How does it work? Leave this passage for a moment. Go over to the book of Acts. It's chapter 2. And we looked at this recently, but let's look at it again. Because if there's a problem with unbelief in our life, it starts with going back to the Word of God and remembering who He is and what He's done. And now what Peter has done after 
the gift of tongues has come upon the church and the believers, the house is shaking and they're all speaking in different languages and the Holy Spirit has fallen upon the church. Well, the crowd is saying, what is going on with these guys? And Peter goes into this lengthy sermon starting at verse 14 um, and he basically recounts a little bit of the history and he tells them exactly what's happening and how it's been prophesied. But we're going to start at verse 29, about halfway through Peter's sermon, and I want you to see something. As Peter is presenting truth, as he's presenting truth, it says here, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not descend into the heavens, but he says to himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. Therefore let all of the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And if you want to have your best life now, no, no, no. Does anybody see that? Does anybody hear that? No. Listen. This Jesus that you crucified, the one that was promised, you put on a cross. Listen to what happens in verse 37, because this is the key. This is the key to reversing the hardened heart. It's the reception of the word of God. Verse 37 says, after this message has been presented, basically verse 37 starts, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. Have you ever had the word do that to you? Have you ever heard somebody present the word, and when they presented the word, you just kind of felt it like, oh! It wasn't God's way of hurting you. It was God's way of touching your heart so that you could understand something, so that your heart would be softened and not hardened. And you heard this, and your heart was softened, and it says here that they asked Peter... And the rest of the disciples, they said, men and brethren, what do, we, what do we do now? What shall we do? Listen, gang, I hope that every time you hear the word preached, the word taught, every time the word is in front of you in your personal time, in your little group studies, I hope you're always asking the same question that is asked right here. What shall we do? What do we do with this? What do we do? Because the truth is right here in the Word. Peter's answer? Repent. Respond to it. Repent. Turn around. Stop going in the wrong direction. You're hurting yourselves. Stop going in that direction. 
Turn around, go in the right direction, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, and as many as the Lord our God will call. And this, my friends, includes you. You are included in this. That if you hear the truth of God, you receive the truth of God. Now, here's how it happens that we become changed, that, that God changes our heart, He draws us, we respond. He draws us, now there's a call. Well, what shall we do? Do this, repent. Repent, turn to me. The man repents. Now, here's the thing. If we want to continue to see things and hear things differently, so that we take our little bread situations and we're able to flip-flop them and look at them quite differently, here's how it works. There's a book, and everybody in here has one, and if you don't, you can have one before you leave. It's God's Word. Okay? This is a supernatural book. But here's what the supernatural book won't do. It won't take itself off your bookshelf. It won't open itself up, place itself in front of you, I mean, maybe some of yours do, and I would imagine by the year 2022, they might. But for right now, it doesn't do that. Okay? Here's what happens. You take it off, and you say, listen, I want you to continually change me. If there are plans that I have, if there are ways that I'm thinking that are not right, I want you to change them. So that when I get in those bread situations, what's rubbing off on me is not the unbelief of the world, but what's rubbing off is the truth of your word because your Holy Spirit is inside me and your word is in front of me. And the more that I read about how amazing and wonderful you are and how much you love me, the more the change is being affected here. Listen, anybody can just, okay, one, the book isn't going to take itself off the shelf and read itself for you. But two, when you read it, you have to go ready to submit to God, ready to hear from God. I want to talk to you today. I not only want to talk to you, I want to hear from you. I want to listen to you and what you're going to say. And what happens is this, is that as you're reading and you're remembering who he is, you're reminded who he is, he is filling your heart. And now what happens is you see what's happening out there differently than the world does. You're caught in traffic and whereas normally you your cheese might be slipping off your cracker, you're caught in traffic and now you're saying, you know what, I think this is from the Lord. You know, I, I think that the way that I'm driving, or maybe he needs me to hear something on the radio. Maybe I can call up and tell someone that I'm praying for them. Maybe I can shoot a text. No, don't do that when you're driving. Okay? But you get the point. You start seeing this thing differently. You lose the job. You never expected to lose this job. But now it's framed a little bit differently. You're in a situation, and now you're seeing the size of your God because he's transforming your heart because you've been in the Word, you've been praying, you've been in the fellowship of believers, you've been doing everything that you're supposed to do to remain strong, and here's the difference as to what you have versus what the disciples have. The disciples had Jesus with them. Here's what you have. You have the Holy Spirit. You have Jesus in you. And here's what happens if you are really looking for him when you get put in those challenging situations 
Instead of forgetting that He's with you, what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit is going to remind you of Scripture. He's going to encourage your heart. You're going to get a phone call from a friend. You're going to be listening to a word, or it's just going to be silent. And there might not be a whole lot of emotion behind anything at all. And you might be sitting there saying, you know what? I'm having a hard time feeling God. But just because you're having a hard time feeling him doesn't mean that he's not there. Because your belief is not based so is not based on your feelings. It is based on his integrity. And that's something D.L. Moody reminded us of many years ago. And so the disciples here they are, they're in their bread situation. And I would ask you today, what is your situation that you're in? Where are you struggling to believe God right now? I want to challenge you with five questions to ask yourself uh, as we begin to think about leaving today. And uh, five questions. I want you to consider one, who influenced you? Who influenced you? Two, who is currently influencing you? And whoever is currently influencing you, are they bringing you closer to God or farther from God? How are they rubbing off on you? Are they rubbing off on you in a way that's bringing you closer to Jesus or further from Jesus? And if it's something that's bringing you further from Jesus, then you need to influence them more than they're influencing you. So that's the second question. But the third question is this. How are you influencing others right now? I hope that's a challenge to you. If you take a look, how are you influencing those that are around you right now? Are you, are, is your life something that is compelling them and challenging them to say, you know what? You know, when, when, when I'm around them, I'm seeing love and I'm seeing joy and I'm seeing peace, or I'm seeing them completely controlled by their circumstances. How are they, how are you influencing them right now? But the fourth question that I hope challenges you is that, he said, if you sit here and you say, well, I'm not being a very good influence right now at all. And I feel terrible. I came into church feeling, nah, 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 but now I'm going out of church and I'm thinking, I'm not influencing people very well. No, don't do that. Just make a change. Make a change. It says here, the, the fourth question is, how would you like to influence others? How would you like to influence them? Listen, here's how I would like to in the dark times, during the challenges, and then I'm going to be 100% transparent, this was not an easy morning. This was not an easy morning to shine. I get a call as soon as I get here um, that, <laughs> that mom's nurse called in sick and, hey, can you run over there before service and give medications and take your hospice nurse role back? Uh, so can I go over there, then come back over here, well, then we then uh, we had uh, a little glitch in our communication with the kids, so I went and I, I had to drive out to Hypoluxo and do that. And I was sitting there, and there was part of me that was saying, okay, you got to shine, you got to shine. Shut up. You shine. No. No, I got to shine. We got to be love. We got to be light. No, you be love and you be light. I don't feel like being love and light right now. I'm a little perturbed right now. No. Listen. This is the challenge, and this is the opportunity. You've got God's Word in front of you. You've got God's Spirit inside of you. But don't neglect the fact that you have got God's people around you. And you need them. And they need you. And we need each other to be love and light and joy and peace to show the fruit so that the world can see that when the church gets challenged, that they're going to do nothing but rise. Anthony talked about a building last week, and a building is well and good. But listen to this. 
Because this is something that God has placed on my heart big time. The church is always about the people. Please never forget this. Because if the building falls, but the people rise, because so many of you have seen churches where, well, okay, the building rises, there are a ton of people, but the leaders fall. Listen. The building falls and people rise and you have a win. The building rises, but the people fall and you have a lose. The importance is this, is that we are to be the light and the love of Jesus Christ and we're to spur one another on. We were talking about it in church on Wednesday night about how we're supposed to be talking to each other in songs and hymns and spiritual songs and praises and this is what we're supposed to be for each other. Not tearing each other down, but if we bring correction to someone, it's for the purpose of building them up. But it's always for the purpose of building. Now, sometimes something has to be torn down in order for it to be built up the right way. All right? But here's the thing. The way that we are to influence, and again, these five questions are crucial that we're asking. And I know I've kind of went on a couple of tangents. Hey, bear with the brother. Who influenced you? Who is influencing you? How are you influencing others now? How would you like to influence others? Here's the fifth question. Ready? What needs to change? What needs to change? And it's a change in your life that only God can make. It's a change in your life only God can make. If you want to be the light and love and the spirit of Christ in this world, because like we always say, if you're going to be the hands and feet, before you're the hands and feet, you have to be the heart of Christ. You have to have the heart of Christ. You have to be the eyes and ears before you can be the hands and feet. And that only comes when there's been a change in heart.